paging all associates, please come to the conference room for a little conversation. Hello and welcome to this little conversation number three? Three. Yes. Welcome. Uh, so it is not cult again like we promised. We have another interview coming to you. Um, we lied. <laughs> we, we are liars. Uh, <laughs> and at some point you will get cult again, but it is not today. That is for certain. So um, with that, I'm going to let Carson do the introduction for our interview E this, this week. Professor Mark P. Strasser is the author of numerous books and articles in the area of family law, bioethics, and constitutional law, and frequently presents papers at conferences across the country and internationally. He has obtained a JD from Stanford University, a PhD from the University of Chicago, an MA in philosophy from the University of Chicago, and a BA also in philosophy from Harvard College. Professor Strasser is a former professor of philosophy and taught at Illinois State University, University of Texas at Arlington, and Washington University in St. Louis. A member of the Capital University Law School's faculty since 1993, Professor Strasser teaches constitutional law and family law. Professor Strasser was my constitutional law professor at Capital for two semesters. Without further ado, here's my interview with Professor Strasser. Enjoy. Okay, so there were three cases the Supreme Court merged from lower circuit courts. What were these cases about? Okay, so there were, um, uh, fair enough, three different cases in three different circuits. So we had uh, one case um, which involved... um, a uh, transgender um, individual who wanted to uh, present as a woman um, and she informed uh, her employer, a funeral home, that she was going to be doing that. And this resulted in her being fired. So, uh, and then a part of this um, has to do with how the circuits themselves were treating whether um, sexual orientation or gender identity was protected under Title VII. And in this circuit, um, they had already decided that gender identity was not protected. So we had the court uh, follow um, their own uh, past case law on this. So it turns out that the different circuits had reached different conclusions about whether gender identity was protected. Okay, so we have one. Then we have, um, on, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, so that is true. The, the circuits had reached different conclusions. It's just that, um, sorry, Harris, uh, which is the funeral home one, was actually in the Sixth Circuit. And in the Sixth Circuit, um, the circuit had recognized that gender identity is protected, all right? So uh, the court says, wait a minute, you can't do this under Title VII. Um, So that was one of the cases. Uh, A different case 
um, was Bostock, and that in that one they had said, well, you know what? In our circuit, uh, sexual orientation is not protected under um, Title VII. So they had said that this individual, who basically had been getting good reviews, um, but he had decided to uh, join a softball league in Atlanta, uh, so it was a gay softball league, and all of a sudden um, he has said that he's not doing a good job and he gets fired. And so he basically said, look, this is pretextual. You're firing me because of my orientation, not because I was doing a bad job. Here, look at all these great reviews. Uh, sorry, in the 11th Circuit, they'd said, um, this is not protected. So they said, gee, you know, you, um, sorry, that's how our circuit works. There was another case in the Second Circuit, which involved uh, an individual who was fired again on the basis of orientation. So um, he was a skydiving instructor uh, and he was teaching individuals and, you know, so they were in uh, close contact when he was doing uh, lessons. And so he figured it would put um, some of the female students at ease if he said, well, look, I'm gay, I'm not... Uh, sort of making a play for you or something like that. He thought it would make uh, individuals feel more comfortable. So he did this with one individual who uh, had complained and then he was fired. And the Second Circuit said, well, orientation is protected under Title VII. So we're getting uh, different rulings in different circuits as to whether orientation uh, and gender identity are protected under Title VII, and then the court heard all of these and issued uh, its decision. And ultimately, the Supreme Court said that uh, sexual orientation and gender identity is protected under Title VII, right? That is right. So the court said uh, that both are protected uh, because basically... Uh, the story is that Title VII protects uh, against discrimination on the basis of sex. And the question in all of the circuits had been whether um, that includes discrimination on the basis of orientation or on gender identity, or whether instead you need to have a separate protection that Congress would have to pass. And that's been something that... Um, the circuits have been reaching different conclusions on, and the court has now said, yes, if you discriminate on the basis of orientation or discriminate on the basis of identity, what's going on basically is you are uh, making certain assertions about how people, what people ought to do, how they ought to appear. And so these are notions about uh, particular roles for the sexes. So if an individual says, look, although I have been dressing as a man, I identify as a woman and now I want to dress as a woman. And the funeral home says, well, wait a minute, you can't do that. 
um, that doesn't accord with our notions of how individuals ought to behave, then they are um, basically enforcing a particular notion about how it's appropriate for individuals to, to dress. And also, there are separate understandings of um, how to define uh, an individual's sex and whether you want to talk about the person's own sense of identity or whether it has to do with how the person had been appearing or there are other ways. Sometimes people do this in terms of chromosome. By the same token, you can say, look, if you are telling an individual it is not appropriate for you to be attracted to members of the same sex, um, we are talking about what roles individuals have. Should they be only uh, romantically involved with individuals of a different sex? And insofar as your employer is saying this, then they have particular notions about appropriate roles for the sexes. And the court says, wait a minute, Title VII protects against discrimination not only on the basis of sex, you're doing it because this person is a woman, because this person is a man, but also associated elements like do you, are you requiring that individuals fulfill certain roles? Are you requiring that they not do particular things because of their appropriate, because of their sex? And so this is now viewed as included under Title VII. Now, it's also true Title VII is statutory. Right, it's passed by Congress. And that's to say, just as Congress could have amended before if the court had come out another way, um, the, court, uh, the Congress could amend now. This is only an interpretation of statute. So when you were talking about uh, specific gender roles or norms, right. it sort of reminded me of um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg when uh, she argued I forget the name of the case but the um, man that was taking care of his mom I think um, and so he was um, and so the question was whether he I guess, um, I guess I'm just wondering if you think that that where she sort of started the on the basis of sex argument, do you think that that played a role in the decision that they made? Oh, and sure. Um, so there, um, so there are a couple kinds of things because, um, so traditionally there are particular uh, roles that have been assigned if you will, or that are traditionally associated with the sexes. And one would be, for example, that, you know, when you're talking about caregivers, traditionally this has been a, associated with, if it's caring for a parent, traditionally it's the daughter rather than the son. And now the question might be, well, are you gonna um, perhaps provide protections for someone who's taking care of a parent, but gosh, you know, maybe it's the 
the son rather than the daughter, well, that might not be fulfilling the standard role, so to speak. And certainly, uh, Justice Ginsburg has been trying for a long time to undermine um, the notion that there are particular roles for particular sexes and the state ought to be reinforcing those. So sure, that's what, um, one of the things that's been going on. It's in addition, um, you know, in the Title VII cases, um, historically, uh, you had the court, for example, say, look, um, just because, oh, you have a, a woman who is um, maybe, let's say, very good at her job but is, and is more aggressive or something like that. So there was a, a kind of classic case where a person was not, this woman was not getting promoted and she was a, accused of acting in ways that would have been rewarded had she been a man but it was not being rewarded because she was a woman. So here too, the idea was, well, look, you seem to be um, promoting the idea that certain ways of acting um, are only appropriate for one sex or another. And the whole idea of protecting on the basis of sex is not to have the state uh, reinforcing particular stereotypical rules for the sexes. So that operates whether you're talking about caregivers or whether you're talking about people who are successful in the workforce. We don't want the state to sort of pigeonhole people and then deny their uh, capabilities because they're not fulfilling the sort of societal expectations about how they're going to fulfill roles. Yeah, so... Were you at all surprised by how the Supreme Court ruled in this decision? Um, I was. <laughs> um, in part, um, so there are two kinds of questions. One was going to be what the court was going to say. Actually, there are a bunch. It's also going to be who was going to write it, what kind of reasoning was going to be used. Now, the idea that um, it's... Uh, discrimination on the basis of sex to uh, require that people fulfill certain um, sex roles or punish them if they don't, um, you know, that isn't such a new one, but it's not uh, traditionally uh, the kind of view associated with justices who are uh, more conservative, and many think of uh, Justice Gorsuch as more conservative, and he wrote the opinion. So that was one of the reasons people were surprised. So it wasn't clear which way they were going to, which way the court would go. Um, I assume that many had thought it would go 5-4 rather than 6-3, but it was also, I think, assumed by many that uh, Justice Gorsuch would not find or not believe that this involved discrimination on the basis of sex. So I assume many had thought if the court were to go this way, it would have been because the chief justice 
right. um, had gone this way, but not. And many of the, you know, the more uh, liberal justices, but they it hadn't been anticipated. At least many did not anticipate that Justice Gorsuch would be adopting this view. I, I for one, was surprised that he um, adopted the view and, and then that he was the one writing the majority opinion. Um, do you know what sort of rationale he was using writing the majority opinion? So he was um, basically looking at the language, right? And the question is discrimination on the basis of sex. And then further, you know, the, the question is going to be, okay, when we talk about discrimination on the basis of sex, what does that include? And insofar as you look at some of the past cases, which suggest it's not just uh, discriminating on the basis of sex to say, well, look, you know, we won't hire, for example, we don't hire, uh, for this position, we won't hire a woman, or we won't hire a man, something like that. We'll look at the sex and we'll say yes or no based on that. So that's one example, of course, and that's the kind that presumably was intended. But it's also been interpreted to include sort of the roles, the stereotypes. And if you include that within the discrimination on the basis of sex, which he was, then this all follows pretty well. So basically he said, well, look, if um, there were an individual who, uh, for example, was, um, here you have a, a in a couple cases, you had um, a gay men. So if it had turned out that the individual had said it was a different case and the person said, oh, I'm attracted to women and then this, that and the other, then um, Justice Gorsuch reasoned, well, you know, the person wouldn't have gotten fired. So here, it wasn't just, were you a man, were you a woman, but additional elements, and then those elements were the basis for the firing. So that was true, you know, when the person um, had become part of the league, the softball league, it was only a couple days after this um, person who was the instructor had told the student um, that he was gay in an effort to make her more comfortable. Just a couple days later, he was fired. But here it was, well, look, if instead the person hadn't indicated his orientation or had said instead, oh, no, I have a different sex orientation, then the person wouldn't have had adverse action. So on that take, yes, makes sense. Um, that this involves notions about roles, and Justice Gorsuch was applying the text, discrimination on the basis of sex, where that's also understood to include uh, roles. And then you're getting in the dissent, basically, two kinds of issues raised. One, well, look, um, the person wasn't fired merely because in two of the cases at least in the two cases involving orientation, because the individual was male. And if you interpret uh, the protection as only to make sure 
that an individual is not fired just because he's a man or she's a woman, then you would say, well, gee, I don't know if it reaches here. So that was one of the uh, views uttered in dissent. Basically, the disagreement is about what sex includes. Are we just talking about uh, sort of biological sense, sex, or are we instead including uh, roles? Now, it's also true, uh, various circuits had started to say, well, look, if someone is transitioning, if you have transgender status and somebody gets fired because of it, what could that mean? But you are discriminating against the individual because he or she identifies in um, his or her sex in a different way than might otherwise be defined. Some states just look at chromosomes. Some states might look at uh, physical attributes at birth, etc. But various circuits had said, you know, that sure looks to be discrimination on the basis of sex, but you might have someone will go, go, well, no, it's not discriminating because the person's a man or because the person's a woman. Um, so you have that as well, talking about, is it really roles? One other thing going on was trying to figure out the intent of the legislature when this was passed. So that was another part of the dissent, um, where it was thought that Congress at the time did not have in mind uh, protecting on the basis of orientation or gender identity. And Justice Gorsuch did not look strictly at what the legislature was probably thinking one way or another, but instead said, look, we're going to look at the terms, we're going to see what they include, and that's how we're going to decide this. So um, that at least speaks to one of the reasons why he is in the majority and yeah. why others in dissent are saying, well, no, we don't think that was the intent or we have a much more limited notion of what sex means in this context, and therefore we don't think it uh, falling under Title VII. So a very basic understanding of this would be um, a broad interpretation of the definition of the word sex and a, a narrow interpretation of the definition of the word sex? Um, a certainly broader, broader and narrower. That's true, because okay. one involves: do you are you thinking of roles as well, instead of just um, whether the person is being um, adversely affected because of his or her perceived sex, sort of man versus woman. So if you okay. just do the latter, that's much narrower. That would cover many fewer cases than if in addition you say, well, it not only includes perceived sex, but in addition, it includes uh, protections against imposed roles for those individuals. So yes, that is definitely a, a broader notion of what the term includes. Uh, we did have cases going there, but yes, it's a broader one. Okay. In the, 
The other part has to do with the role of legislative intent. Yeah. And so, and that's been something that's, the court has been of mixed minds about for a while as to how much weight to give, what the individuals were thinking at the time. Um, it's sometimes difficult to figure out what they had in mind. They also often wouldn't have had one thing in mind. Some people voting for a particular statute might have one interpretation. Others might have a different one. But the whole question of legislative intent, um, you know, I had assumed if, uh, if the decision had come out the other way, I had assumed they would have played uh, much more heavily on the notion of what Congress intended at the time. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, Professor, I wanna I wanna be mindful of your time. So, if you need to um, stop now, that's okay, um, and I'll let you go. But I do have a couple more questions. If you're able to keep talking. Oh sure, I, I run at the mouth all the time. So, um, okay. yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay. So, 2020 has been uh, quite the interesting year. Um, between the fact that there's a presidential election, there have been protests, uh, the coronavirus, all of these things happening. Do you think any of them played a role at all in the decision of this landmark civil rights case? Um, you know, so there are a couple things uh, that are related. So... I do. It's not so clear to me um, that current, you know, I guess I'm not thinking so much um, virus concerns. Um, it's not so clear to me that uh, demonstrations um, are are playing a, a big role. I'm not sure how that would fit in. I could see how it could. Fair enough. Okay. I'm just not not confident that it that it was uh you know if it had been let me i'm going to do it a little differently if it had been a a five four with justice roberts mm -hmm. or chief justice roberts writing it um i believe that chief justice roberts is pretty worried about um the politicizing of the court especially in the election year right but there have been there are claims or beliefs that the court is becoming more and more political. Um, I believe that he, I'm sure all the justices are thinking this, but he in part is, Chief Justice in part is just his view. I think he is pretty protective and he's really trying not to have the court viewed as yet another political institution. Mm -hmm. And so, I would have been saying that, um, and I still think that's that's going on, and that's an issue for various members of the court. The only other thing is there are a bunch of decisions that are going to be coming down, um, and each side may well go in there. There's only often there are more than two sides, but each side may well be going. Oh my gosh, this indicates that or that. 
And so... Do you, um, just to clarify, do you mean a bunch of decisions coming down like before the end of this month, the, before the end of June? Yeah. Okay. And, and the decisions will be viewed in particular ways. And so um, does that affect how this one was decided? I'm not so clear, especially because of how this was decided. But I think um, the court is mindful about how it's going to be viewed. And we'll just have to wait, wait and see um, whether the court is going all in one direction or it's going to turn out that some people are very upset by one thing and then very pleased by another. So, for example, right now, after the Title VII case, various uh, individuals have asserted their worries about what implications this will have for religious either um, institutions or even um, sort of companies. Right, but those who have a religious identity. And we're going to be getting some more decisions, which I think are going to speak to uh, protections for religion. Well, I was going to say, don't you think they'll still have that religious fallback under the First Amendment? Oh, not only, all, well, so yes, but in addition, the question is going to be how broadly construed the protections are. Okay. And if, I have to guess, and gosh, you know, I wasn't right about this one. <laughs> I make all kinds of wrong guesses. But I believe the court is going to be interpreting both federal statute and at some point, possibly this time, possibly next year, even constitutional protections more robustly for religion. And then so you're going to get a kind of, in some sense, a balancing. But I'm at least expecting that you have the Title VII decision, but I'm expecting in the, in the next couple of weeks to be seeing uh, some decisions which are going to seem to afford more protect, protection to uh, religious belief and practice. Okay. And so then you're getting a kind of balancing in a way. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. I think balancing is a nice, nice way to put it. In my mind, what it is thinking about like using these cases and arguments it just makes it more confusing and less clear. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's um, this actually will be very well. We'll see. We'll see how things go. It is certainly true that. Um, the Title VII decision is an important decision, at least in part, because other federal statutes uh, may well be interpreted similarly because they also have protections. And so, for example, uh, the administration was trying to, gee, I believe, withdraw protections, uh, um, sort of medical protections for transgendered. Um, claiming that uh, protections offered on the basis of sex did not apply. And part of their rationale was basically they believed Title VII wouldn't apply. And so then they went, well, if Title VII doesn't apply, then other federal statutes are not meant to protect the transgendered. But now, right now that you have Title VII applying, 
then it may well be that's really um, just turning upside down uh, the rationale that the administration had been offering. Because then if they were thinking, oh, because Title VII doesn't protect now, we're allowed to withdraw protections. Gosh, now that we know Title VII offers protection, then you'd think they'd be going, uh-oh, maybe that means we really can't withdraw these protections based on the very argument that they've been offering before. Certainly this will be offered by others. You know, a separate issue is whether the administration itself uh, changes its position because Title VII has been interpreted this way. In any event, others looking at protections afforded by federal statute will likely be pretty influenced by this decision. So it was an important decision not only for employment, though that's of course really important, but for other kinds of protections too. That yeah. I've gotten, um, I've sort of gone away from what you're asking. No, sorry. No, no, no. I uh, I love hearing everything you have to say because it's so interesting. Um, and you're right, it is very complex and involved and there are a lot of things to consider. Um, so we have uh, two questions that we ask every guest. Um, and you're actually only our second guest uh, that we've ever had. So, <laughs> but um, so our first question is a little more serious, and then our second question is a little goofy. But the first question is what's the best piece of advice that you've ever received from a mentor? You know, I think, um, oh, being willing to, to try. Uh, sort of different things that may not fit your notion of uh, what you'd want to do, what you would like. So just being being sort of open. Um, I think this is a sort of a good uh, piece of advice, and that you know could be applied professionally or however. But um, so if there's sort of even you know employment opportunities. Um, that you hadn't really considered, then the idea of uh, maybe trying and then you find out, you know, well, maybe you were right or, oh, maybe that's great and I just never would have thought it. So I, I think that, you know, it's a little bit, uh, let's see, it's often said, so um, <laughs> I don't think it's a shocker, but um, I think that's good advice. No, I, oh, I like it. It's great advice. I am on on a career journey right now and haven't found a a permanent job yet for after school but um so personally i i like that advice it applies directly to me <laughs> uh so our second question is uh do you believe in ghosts and you know so here's what i'm thinking you know the argument so this is going to be a a shift in your question, probably. <laughs> but um, the arguments we're seeing now, for example, in, in Title VII and all of this, they're so reminiscent of stuff we've been seeing for decades. And so those kinds of ghosts, things <laughs> coming up that you thought, gosh, no, I've been seeing this for a long time. Here it is again. Um, those I'm seeing. And you see it. Uh, and you're sort of surprised that things, 
you know, and especially if things look clear now, you're going, well, gee, why wasn't this clear 40 years ago or whatever, whether it's employment or, you know, issues about, for example, uh, marriage. There were analogous arguments about what would be discrimination on the basis of sex and what was uh, precluded and whatnot. So a lot of times we see all these things coming up again and they sort of seem to me ghost-like. So in that way, sure. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, And of course, uh, that is a great philosophical answer. (laughs) (laughs) So is there anything else you want our listeners to know? Any final thing you want to leave them with or any plug for like a a seminar that you're doing or <laughs> oh no this one i hadn't even thought about um you know and i'm getting no nothing is jumping in here i've lost this opportunity so you know i'll once again be going oh if only i've been thinking but yeah um nothing is jumping but if um comes to mind feel free to email me and we'll okay. we'll put a link to it <laughs> okay, that sounds good. Well, and good luck with your, you know, the podcasts and the interviewing. This is a great idea. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you doing this for us. No, and this is fine. So uh, you should enjoy, and I'm hoping, you know, soon we'll have, oh, vaccines and all kinds of things where we can get get back to uh, a more sort of normalized uh, way of living. Yeah, someday. (laughs) Yes, that is right. Anyway, well, you should take care then. You too. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye.